Emily Meyer, her husband Jordan, and their children are active members here at St. Joseph. Emily is here tonight to share the story of her son, Bennett, and how the power of prayer, the sacraments, and love transformed her heart. Please join me in welcoming Emily Meyer. are here today to share in my story. This is a journey that's difficult for me to share, but God has put it on my heart that I do so for eight years now, so I'm finally saying yes. I'm Emily Meyer, as Matt said. My husband is Jordan in the front pew, and we have five children, one angel who lives in heaven and would have been nine October 24th. Isabella will be eight in January. William is six, Rosalie is four, and William is two. We live in Marion now, but Jordan grew up in Manchester and I grew up in Masonville in the country. We both attended college and Jordan works for the city of Cedar Rapids. I am home most of the time with our four children. I homeschool and work outside the home part-time at the Midwest Athletic Club. To begin, I would like to share with you a poem I wrote on one of my hard days as I was working through writing this story. And you'll have to bear with me, because no matter how many times I do this talk, I cry. So that is my gift to you. <clears throat> the poem is called Pieces. I am pieces, many, jagged, torn, burned. I am here, but this is not my home. I am out of place. I gather up the pieces and put me together. I smile, give full effort, attempt what God calls me to do. It feels good, wholesome. I hold the pieces together for as long as I can possibly endure. The pieces keep falling apart. It's exhausting, always having to pick up the little pieces that I call me. Each time, they rip open my wounds. They're sharp, they're hot, some tattered and fragile. I yearn just to leave them behind, but I can't. They're my cross. I have to carry them. I don't want to, I have to. Jesus, help me carry the pieces that make me. Please, Lord, I'm begging you. Hold me together, Lord, for I am broken. Everyone is around me, and I feel so alone. Only you can heal all of the hurt that comes from pieces. I yearn for the wind to whisk the pieces away. That cannot be. My pieces could cause others so much pain. I keep them to myself, safe, hidden, painful pieces. The Lord calls me to take up my cross, put my pieces on display, vulnerably share them with others to heal wounded souls. My pieces are exposed. I lift my pieces up to the Lord. Heal my mind, Lord. Heal my heart. Heal my soul. They have been wounded by my pieces. May my scars be like treasures in heaven. I ache for the day when I feel the joy 
of true treasure and let go of the burden, the pain, and the exhaustion that, here on this earth, are my pieces. In my younger years, I had a worldly sort of tunnel vision. I was very goal-driven and a rule follower. Being a cradle Catholic, as we call it, my life was faith-filled, and I went to Mass every week. I received all the sacraments on the traditional schedule, went to faith formation, and prayed daily with my family. It was very routine. Then I was given the opportunity to go to a Steubenville retreat in high school. This was the first life changer that I remember in my faith. We were singing, dancing, and praising the Lord loudly. I felt and was touched in my innermost being during the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, which all may experience through adoration. Everyone around me was given a gift. Some were laughing, speaking in tongues, fainting, and I was given the gift of tears. Yay! They wouldn't stop. I knew the Holy Spirit was within me and all around me, and I felt a strong call to the religious life. However, after returning home, the normalcy of my daily routine and the demands of the world faded that desire. But the gift of tears remains. Life continued, and God's plan for me began to unfold when I met Jordan in February of 2003, my senior year of high school. I had insisted that I was not interested in dating, anticipating that I would meet my true love in college. So, my sister brought him to my house. I am so thankful she did. We instantly had a friendship, and conversation was easy. After two years of dating and multiple attempts to ask my dad for his blessing, we got married on December 30th of 2006, during the winter break of my senior year at college. We did not want to wait any longer to begin our lives together. After a honeymoon to the Dominican Republic, we returned to the rigors of college. We were both RAs, or resident assistants, and were able to share an apartment in the co-ed dorms. I will never forget the wonderful feeling of being loved and being in love and married and living with someone for the very first time. The sacrament of marriage is such a gift. Time passed quickly, and two months later, I was feeling unusually exhausted. Finally, it occurred to me that I might be pregnant. I had always heard of people trying and trying to have a baby, so didn't really feel like we had to worry about it all that much. The test said yes, I was pregnant. Thus, God's plan for us was set in motion. Jordan and I were excited and nervous. This was really happening. We were having our first child, Life continued as I scrapbooked the pregnancy, my belly grew, and I continued my studies toward a doctorate in physical therapy. I began my first internship in Omaha, Nebraska, even with the news of carrying our first child. During this incredible learning experience on the path toward my goal, my belly continued to grow and I felt my first little kicks. Life was beginning to change. Upon returning to school, I had my first experience with a pro-life pregnancy center. The Clarity Clinic had gotten a new ultrasound machine and was looking for people to test it on so their new tech could learn. I was elated to see my baby and hear its heartbeat. This would be the ultrasound that saved countless babies from abortion in the years to come. So many firsts and life was never better 
my worldly tunnel vision was about to be shattered. More time passed, and we were so excited to see the baby again at our 20-week ultrasound. It was so powerful and miraculous seeing a real live baby inside of me that I was brought to tears. Jordan and I decided we wanted the sex of our baby to be a surprise and put the answer in a sealed envelope just in case. The ultrasound revealed that there might be an extra duct on our baby's kidney, so they referred us to a specialist where we could get a more detailed picture. The days leading up to this appointment were worrisome, but we were praying and optimistic. As we waited in a small and awkwardly long room before our ultrasound with our moms and other worried couples, this would mark the beginning of the challenges that we would face. The ultrasound technician was very quiet during the whole thing. I kept asking, is everything okay? What do you see? She stated bluntly that she was not allowed to discuss that with me, and the doctor would go over the findings. Time seemed to stand still as I lay there, cold and sweaty, tears running down my cheeks for fear of all the things she was tagging. The doctor finally arrived, very sullen and somber. She began by saying she didn't know where to begin, that our baby had what she believed was a chromosomal defect. This causes multiple organ abnormalities, as well as mental retardation, and the diagnosis is ultimately incompatible with life. Lethal. My heart stopped. She proceeded to list all of the anomalies she had found, starting with a cyst on the brain, including others such as switched vessels in the heart, not allowing the body or brain to get any oxygen, along with 17 others. Tears streamed down my face, and I began to tremble as she continued on and on, describing the horrific deformities of our very own baby. The euphoria and joy of having our first child was shattered. The doctor said that she highly recommended abortion because there was no chance this baby would survive anyway and would most likely die in utero. At this point, we were left in the room to make our decision. We were dumbfounded by the doctor's insistence on abortion. To us, the choice was clear. We choose to take what we get, whether it was a few more kicks, extra stories in the womb, birth, minutes, hours, days, anything. We were willing to let God take charge. The doctor did not seem comfortable with this decision, so I was sent to another room with a counselor who gave me my options again. She highly suggested that the only choice was abortion. It would be cruel of me to bring this baby into the world only to suffer. It would be the nice thing to do. The nice thing to do. I was a nice person, compassionate, kind. I wanted to be nice. How dare she make me think like this? This was my choice, and it was not being respected. I wanted to give this baby the best chance at whatever life it was capable of. 
If I had no faith and no support, the choice would have been different for me. I know that. Then the counselor asked if I love my husband. Confused, I answered, yes. She told me, chances are, if you have this baby, you will lose your husband. The percentage is near 97%. Are you willing? Are you willing to risk this? We were up for the challenge. After all, we were newlyweds, and God was on our side. We went back in. Thank you. We went back in with the doctor for questions after time for contemplation and began to discuss options to give our baby the very best chance at life. We wanted to see a heart specialist to see what they could do. The doctor proceeded to treat us like silly, uneducated kids. She said there was no way she was referring us to a specialist unless we did an amniocentesis to confirm the trisomy 13. If I were to go back in time, I would not have taken that test. This is a way to have a confirmed diagnosis. With a confirmed diagnosis of trisomy 13, many doctors were not willing to put any effort into helping my child. They were blinded by the diagnosis of incompatible with life that they had learned in med school. I went into the room for the amnio and lay on the cold, hard table as they prepped my ever-stretching belly and pulled out a huge needle, about nine inches long. I looked away as they plunged it into my uterus to get a sample of my baby's DNA. One wrong move, and our little baby would be injured by the needle. And there was a chance that I would miscarry due to the stress of the procedure itself. I felt trapped. I didn't want to risk my baby's life, but it was the only way that they would help him. At the very end of the procedure, as they were removing the needle, our baby gave a large kick and missed it by just a hair. Time crept by as we waited for a few days for the DNA test results. With the future uncertain, we opened our envelope to learn that we were about to have a son. We named him Bennett John, which means little blessed one, and began developing a relationship with him right away. In the meantime, I had a very strong pull from the Holy Spirit one day as we were driving past a local church. I asked Jordan to turn around, that I felt drawn to go inside and pray. We went in and knelt down in a random pew and began to pray when I noticed a slip of paper. It was a novena to St. Jude, worker of miracles and impossible cases. Wondering if this was meant for me, I searched all around the church to see if they were everywhere. But no, just in the exact spot where we sat. The Holy Spirit had led someone to leave that prayer for us. I know this. I had never prayed a novena before in my life. If you are unfamiliar with what a novena is, you can refer to it in the handout that I prepared for you. You received it. It's on a yellow sheet at the entrance. Before our next appointment, we timed it so that the miracle of the novena would happen on the day of the visit. We developed a deep connection to St. Jude, and our faith and marriage were strengthened by the power of praying this novena together. 
I had never really realized before just how powerful it was to have the intercession of the saints. I made little booklets for each of our family members to pray it with us. As we waited to see the cardiologist, I was nervous. But at the time, I had hope and faith that the Holy Spirit was working within me. We went in, and as the doctor did his testing, he informed us that the vessels were not, in fact, transposed. There were only two tiny holes that a lot of normal babies even have. They may even close on their own. This was good news, a true miracle. We prayed the novena again before the next appointment. As they performed a follow-up ultrasound, I was informed that they were searching for some of the abnormalities that they found during the previous ultrasound, and it was taking a while. They couldn't find them. They had vanished. We smiled at each other knowing this truly was a miracle, and it gave us so much hope. As we praised God for his healing works, our doctor tugged us out of the clouds. She reminded us that this was a baby who would not live and would be severely deformed and mentally retarded. She argued that it would make me feel like an awful mother if he was born because, chances were, I would not think he was cute. He would look more like a monster than a human being. She wanted to know if I could live with this as a mother. This was hard for me. I was a bit in the earthly mindset of worrying what others would think or say about my baby. I was scared, but I already loved Bennett so much that nothing could change that. She proceeded to ask about my birth plan and recommended not taking any extraordinary measures to save him during labor. I insisted that we treat him like any other baby and give him the same fighting chance. This included a C-section if it was needed. This response was appalling to her. She said, are you really willing to damage your uterus, the home that your future children will have to live in, for this kind of baby? This is like ripping the roof off your home and expecting all of your other children to live in it with an inadequate roof. I won't do that. You will have to find another doctor. So we made a lot of phone calls and found a doctor that would honor our birth plan and treat Bennett like any other human being that was entering this world. We were seeing the regular OB and going to the specialty clinic as well, so we got to see Bennett often. Every time, there were fewer and fewer anomalies. Every time, we prayed the novena. As we got closer to our due date, we got the approval and moved into the apartment buildings on campus where living conditions would be more conducive to a family. Then one day, someone offered us the house across the street where we could still perform our RA duties and would be in a more private setting, yet it would still be considered on campus so we could live there free. We were elated. We began the moving process once again. I had to be careful because there was a high risk of preeclampsia and high blood pressure due to this being my first pregnancy and also due to having a baby with a trisomy. Family came and helped us settle in. I painted the walls, put up a cute frog border in the nursery, and began to feel like things were working out for our little family. 
One beautiful fall day in September, as I was walking to class, one of the ladies in administrations that Jordan and I knew quite well asked how our ultrasound went, and I completely lost my composure. I filled her in on minimal details, but I asked her to keep us in her prayers because they suspected complications. Within a few days, we were informed that our baby was no longer allowed to live in the house across the street. I'll never know if this was a terrible coincidence or a conscious decision, but to me, this said that a normal baby could live there, but not a less than, per a perf less than perfect baby due to the liability. I felt as if the world's ways were clouding the judgment of this Christian administration. Bennett was due at the beginning of November, so that gave us a short amount of time to find a home. This was causing an incredible amount of stress and anxiety as I neglected my studies to instead pursue housing opportunities. We began to look at houses which were out of our price range or not suitable. Then God led us to Dyersville, a smaller town that had the perfect little house for us. Our realtor was such a nice lady and went above and beyond for us. She had so much empathy for our situation and really treated us like a family. I know she was put in our lives for a reason. About three weeks after learning we were not allowed on campus, I went for my OB visit and the doctor said my blood pressure was high and the preeclampsia had set in. She recommended I go to the specialty hospital right away to be induced, or I would risk my life as well as the babies. We hadn't even moved out yet. This was all happening way too fast. I wasn't ready. Five more days and Bennett would be considered full term. I felt sick and nervous as Jordan and I prayed the novena all the way to the hospital. We parked and I was wheeled in. They immediately began the medication and induced labor. I felt semi-conscious and paralyzed. This birth was happening. We were about to meet our baby, our firstborn son, our Bennett, our little miracle. His heart rate was good, but I was feeling drugged and distant. There were so many doctors, no, so many students watching, hovering, waiting for this rare deformed child to be born. What an opportunity to learn, right? Maybe. I couldn't focus, and I was so soft-spoken at that point in my life that I told Jordan I couldn't handle everyone watching me. He spoke up, and the doctor asked them to step out. Instead, they pulled the curtain. Their presence was still there, and it seemed to suck the oxygen right out of the room. I had to focus. My baby was on his way into this world, despite the prediction that he would not even make it to birth. God was allowing my baby to be born alive. I felt so blessed and knew that I wanted the doctors to do whatever they could for him. I also wanted to enjoy his life, whether it was seconds, minutes, or hours. Bennett John Meyer <clears throat> came into this world on October 24th, 2007, crying crying like a healthy baby. They put him on my chest before they took him to check his health and vitals. The moment I looked at his wrinkly little face, 
I knew that life was the most precious gift that God gives us. God is good. This tiny human being was so perfect in every way, beautifully sculpted by God himself in my very womb. This was mind-blowing. His APGAR score, a measure of a newborn's well-being, was eight out of 10, which was incredible. But they wanted to check his organs, so they took him over to a table under a very bright light, and all of the students crowded around. All I heard was voices, beeping, and then no more crying. And the frantic burst of them rushing my baby out the door and to the ICU. I wanted to go too. They wouldn't allow it. It wasn't safe for me to be up with the medication that I was on. It would be a few days. Days. I didn't know if Bennett even had a few days. It made no difference, no exceptions. I sent Jordan with our little blessing and painfully waited for updates. Bennett was giving them quite a challenge in the ICU as he kept ceasing to breathe. This was happening regularly for days. Finally, knowing that they didn't expect Bennett to live much longer, my dad demanded they let me see Bennett, or he threatened to take me to Bennett against hospital policy. They wheeled me to the ICU, where I got to hold and also baptize my baby boy with the on-call pastor. Did you know that anyone, at any time, with any water, can baptize a person, especially in the case of an emergency? I prayed as I overflowed with love, joy, and sadness, but something strange happened. After I arrived and the sacrament of baptism was complete, his health began to improve, and he needed less and less help breathing. Draw your own conclusions. Jordan and I continued to stay in Bennett's room after I was discharged, and we prayed and experienced hope. After 11 days, the nurses and doctors said what they stated they would never say. Bennett Meyer can go home. I felt so proud of my little fighter. As I buckled him in his car seat and took his cute little picture, I felt so proud that God chose me to be his mom. He did have a chance at life. The feeling that overtook me as we wheeled him to our vehicle was so powerful. We were going home, home, to a home that I did not know how to get to and that our family and friends prepared for us. Our new home that we were moved into while Bennett and I were in the hospital. I was so grateful for all of the people that made that move happen. Once home, it felt so good. We got to be a real family. Jordan was working and trying to keep up with schoolwork, and we were loving every minute. We didn't even realize the lack of sleep because we did not want to miss one minute with our little miracle. Bennett appeared to be healthy at his home checkups, and I was such a happy mom. I never knew that being a mom would feel this good. My whole world was turned upside down by this little life in front of me. Suddenly, the things of the world had no value. I had very little desire to be a career woman now. My only aspiration was to be a great mom to a very special little boy.
I began to look up Trisomy 13 survivors online and found a support group that had kids on it who were teenagers. Why hadn't the doctors ever told us that this was possible? Why was Bennett always incompatible with life when this was apparently not true? When Bennett was six weeks old, he started breath holding and seemed sick for the very first time. We took him to the ER, but the doctors were afraid to treat him because of his diagnosis, so they wanted to take him by ambulance to a bigger hospital. Fear rushed over me. I wondered, what if this is it? I asked if I could ride with Bennett in the ambulance and be by his side, but was told that it was against policy. Even after I explained that he doesn't breathe well without me and warned if they poke him and make him mad, he will stop breathing. The answer remained the same. I didn't want Bennett to die without me by his side. Jordan and I watched and cried as they took him from us. It was uncertain if we would ever see him again, and we began to pray as we followed that ambulance. When we arrived, we learned that he had stopped breathing multiple times. On the way there, I knew that the doctors needed to feed him. He was hungry, and that would calm him down so that he could breathe. They would not allow it for fear of aspiration. He stopped breathing right in front of me, and I watched and prayed as they resuscitated him. He came back to us. We stayed in the ICU for about 10 days. Over the course of our stay, we met a few doctors who were wonderful, and a few who didn't want to waste too much effort considering his diagnosis. Many of the nurses were very sweet, and they grew to love Bennett and his cute little half smiles, his little dimple, his Pooh Bear belly, and the love he had for being cared for. One day, however, I could tell something was wrong. I called the nurse. They said they didn't see anything wrong. I asked for a doctor. The doctor checked on him by looking through the glass door. Didn't even come in. He said, Bennett's fine. Hours later, a nurse discovered that Bennett's oxygen was set way too high. Being set this high could make the hole in his heart worse and ultimately end his life. They brought the cardiologist in right away, and Bennett had to go on a ventilator. He did not like this one bit. They had to highly sedate him. The sedation did not work well for him, and they had to keep giving him high doses. I was so bitter. We could not afford mistakes like this. It was hard enough with his diagnosis. Thankfully, Bennett pulled through, and at the end of our 10-day stay, they were saying what they thought they would never say again. Bennett Meyer was going home. He beat the odds again. We were so blessed. A doctor even said, I don't know how this is possible outside of a miracle. This pattern of being well and ill continued until Easter. We experienced the same struggles every time he was admitted. We even overcame an illegal mistake with his heart medication on the part of the pharmacy we were using. Jordan and his dad braved a blizzard and drove for six hours to get a medication that was locked up in a closed pharmacy. Now that took some extra strings, clearly pulled by God. In the few days before Easter, it seemed that Bennett was getting a cold and had stopped breathing at home. 
After resuscitating him myself, I decided we'd better take him to the doctor before the holiday. This time, the illness seemed different. It made me uneasy. One thing after another was going wrong. First, they sent a student into our room to try drawing blood from a baby who had stubborn veins that nobody could ever get an IV into. Then its oxygen began to decline. I was getting better at being his advocate. He kept saying, Mo, which meant he was hungry. Can you believe that the, at the age of five months, this baby who is supposed to be mentally retarded already had speech to communicate? The nurse thought we were making it up. We asked specifically for the only doctor who'd been able to get a vein. The nurse declined. She decided to wait for his oxygen to go back up a bit and have the student try again. After three failed attempts, they had another person try. I was livid. This was making Bennett very upset, causing him to stop breathing multiple times. Then she said, if we try one more time, we might be able to make him mad enough that his oxygen will be low enough for you to go see your friends in the ICU. Wow. And I agreed to go along with this plan. Why? I didn't feel like I had any other option. They obviously did not value his life or our knowledge of what he needed. We were transferred upstairs where they knew Bennett and they knew the protocol. Do for Bennett what you would do for others. The process began. Intubation did not work. It just made him worse. Bennett was not having it. They tried nitrous oxide, and that was not working. I was so tired. Jordan was so tired. We had been praying. It was now Easter, and we just knew that little Bennett wanted to go to heaven with Jesus. The doctors were doing their jobs so well, all working to save him. Finally, I said, stop, no more. They just looked at me. He wants to be done fighting. Can we just hold him? They turned off the gas and our family got to hold him one last time before leaving us with our fading boy. Jordan and I took pictures and held him and prayed as we gave him every last ounce of love we had. He slipped away from us so peacefully that it didn't seem real. He was no longer on earth with us. The things that the hospital had us do were so meaningful. We bathed him, dressed him, and spent as much time with him as we needed. We allowed family back in, and we all came to terms with reality. This was the end of a very happy, very challenging, very eye-opening and spiritual road. We would continue on a rough path
without our little angel. It was hard leaving our only child at the morgue and walking away without him in our arms. This whole journey reminds me of the agony that Mary must have felt as she watched her only son be tortured and crucified and was placed in the tomb. I wondered if Mary felt the same as she held her lifeless child in her arms, or if she felt the joy that his suffering was over, or how blessed she felt that her son touched the lives of so many. Please reflect with me on this as you listen to a song called Homesick by Mercy Me. times and at least a thousand times I've rejoiced for you but the reason why I'm broken the reason why I cry is how long must I wait to be with you I close my eyes and I see your face if home's where my heart is, then I'm out of place. Lord, won't you give me strength to make it through somehow? I've never been more homesick now. I don't understand your ways The reason why I wonder if I'll ever know But even if you showed me The hurt would be the same Cause I'm still here So far away from
Funeral preparation was painful, and the funeral home was surprised by the turnout, which was much larger than even a person who had lived a full life. To this day, when the songs from Bennett's funeral are being sung in mass, I cry. I did not enjoy being in the line at the wake, hugging strangers, or being the grieving mother at the funeral, but I stayed strong and did the best I could. I will never forget what one woman said to me after hearing sorry for your loss a million times. She said, thank you for giving this precious boy life. There it is. I had received a gift from God and he had too. That one statement gave me the strength to persevere. Being a childless mother was unbearable for me. And the journey from then until now has been trying. Carol, our realtor, made sure I met people and had friends in Dyersville. I joined a Bible study group that she found for me and made faithful friends. But my grief was powerful and it tried to pull me away from God. I clung tight. I began having, in the, having dreams in the night that were repetitive and evil. It was the same thing every night, 3 a.m. I prayed and prayed. After countless months of nights praying the rosary, curling up under the baby swing, listening to lullabies, and aching for my baby, I began to croak close with God again, and the dream stopped. I never want to return to that vulnerable state. It is not easy to escape. I returned to classes to finish my doctorate, but it was difficult for me to focus. I was in an incredible amount of emotional pain, and I couldn't relate with anyone my age. Students were crying over an A minus or a B. It made me angry. I wanted to shout, do you wanna know what I have to cry about? I wanted to be a mother so badly. I decided to volunteer at the Clarity Clinic the pregnancy center that I had discovered early in my pregnancy. Again, people were placed in my life for a reason. As I was training, they warned me that when you do the will of God, 
Sometimes you experience evil as it tries to stop you from saving the babies. This scared me. I'd been there and I didn't want to experience that again. They asked me if they could pray over me and of course I said yes. They laid hands on me and prayed over me and kept praying. They said if words came into my mind, otherwise identified as the gift of tongues, I was free to say them. This phrase kept replaying in my head. I was too nervous to say it. Then I did. To this day, I don't know what it means. But I noticed the Malachi and recognized it as a book in the Old Testament. I read the entirety of the book of Malachi and it spoke to me so strongly that I started reading the Bible again. I am forever grateful for the grace that I was given that day. Every year, in honor of Bennett's birthday, we attend the annual fundraising banquet at the Clarity Clinic. In January of 2009, Jordan and I celebrated the birth of our oldest daughter, Isabella. The joy was overwhelming, and I was incredibly grateful. Growing up, I have one sister, and even though I was the big sister, from the time she was taller than me, she stuck up for me and was my rock. She got married and had her first child after I had Isabella. Her baby was a little boy, and she named him Lucas. We learned that Lucas had a hole in his heart. Time passed, and I didn't realize until his first birthday that I was not allowing myself to love him. It hurt. I ached for my boy. I held back and was afraid of more loss. Life was full of constant reminders of people taking their children for granted. The mother mistreating her little boy in the store. The mother choosing to evacuate her baby prematurely from her uterus. The mother busy and absent from her child's life. I wanted to say, I'll take your baby. I decided that enough was enough and I began to love knowing that to love and lose is way better than to never love at all. God's greatest command is to love one another. Take a moment to answer these questions to yourselves. They're also in your handout. Is there something in your life that's holding you back from fully loving with all you have as God has commanded? Are you allowing yourself to fully love your spouse, your children, your parents, or grandparents? Are you loving those who are different from you? Most importantly, are you loving unconditionally? As Lucas grew older, the hole in his heart did not close on its own. So when he was three and a half years old, he was scheduled for open heart surgery. They were going to perform the surgery at the very same hospital that Bennett had spent his time in and died in. This was so difficult for me. As we waited in the family room, we prayed the novena that had proven to work miracles. 
Lucas came out of surgery successfully. When my mom was with Lucas after the surgery, he said, Grandma, can I tell you a secret? She, of course, said yes. Lucas excitedly shared, I got to go see Jesus and sit on his lap. And Grandma, guess who was there? Bennett. And he was six. But he told me I had to go back to my spot. After hearing his secret, there's one thing I know for sure. Heaven is real. This gave me such peace. God continued to bless Jordan and I with more children. And we rejoiced at the birth of Lillian in August of 2010. Children were, and still are, such a blessing and a privilege for us. We were pregnant with our fourth, and in March of 2011, all of my pain was brought to the surface with a miscarriage at nine weeks. I had not fully allowed myself to grieve, so this ripped open these old wounds and allowed for more growth and healing. We named our little baby Jonas, so that someday in heaven, we can call him or her by name. In August of 2012, a year later, we were blessed with our sweet little Rosalie. And the blessings continued as we welcomed into this world William Bennett in October of 2014. I still have moments today where the sadness seems too much to bear. But God has given me four beautiful, healthy, wonderful children that remind me of his goodness every day. Just a year ago, I decided to take my motherhood a step further and be the primary educator of our children. The joy we experience together as we learn and grow leaves me with such gratitude for the struggles and triumphs that we have faced. I gave up everything I knew as a college student and dove into the beautiful gift of motherhood. Through the joys and the struggles of everyday life, I am always brought back to the idea of never taking for granted a single moment of the lives of those around you. I thank God for our Christian community. I truly understand why God commanded us to keep holy the Sabbath. He wants us to experience his Holy Spirit in communion with others. I would not have emotionally survived the loss of two children if it weren't for those in our community. A community who believes in something larger than themselves and the stuff they have, the money they make, the career or life they chose, and the activities they're in. He wants us to serve others to love one another, and he places us in people's lives at just the right moment. Rise to this challenge. I've learned that when you feel that strong urge to say something to that person standing next to you, to stop and have a conversation with someone, to give someone a compliment, or let them know that you've been thinking about them, please do it. It is the Holy Spirit moving within you. That person needs you, and God is placing you in their lives at exactly the right moment. 
Be brave. Have courage. Be his hands and his voice. When you feel like you need to talk or complain about something, talk to God. Open the book of his word. The Bible is timeless. It will speak to you no matter where you are in life. Whatever struggles you have, his word and your relationship with him will protect you from the evil in this world. I challenge you, open your eyes. Take off your worldly vision. We all have some. Look at the people around you and toward things of heavenly value. It is a beautiful world that God's created and it doesn't stop here. He has invited each and every one of us to spend eternity with him in heaven. Think about that. Looking back, I appreciate the gift of being Bennett's mother. I appreciate the opportunity to be a mother and a teacher to four healthy children. I appreciate the gift of another beautiful baby due on June 8th of this year. I appreciate my husband who suffered with me and stood by me through my darkest times, who took care of everything when I had nothing left to give. I cherish life and stand to advocate for children and babies who do not have a voice of their own. Life is precious and miraculous. God has a purpose for every life he creates. It's not up to us to change or cut his plan short because you never know what wonderful things even the shortest amount of time spent with his creation can bring. The shortest amount of time could impact a person's life in a profound way. I have proof. The suffering of having truly loved could be just enough to turn you down the narrow path toward heaven. You never know. Embrace the plan. Embrace God. And you will be held in his embrace as well. As the song says, stop holding on and just be held. Here is a little song for you that would come on the radio at times when we would need it most, ironically. It's been named Bennett's Song by our family. Please enjoy some pictures as you reflect on the wonder of what's ahead in your lives. It's Everlasting Love by Lincoln Brewster. <laughs> 